I'm Jonathan Capehart and welcome to Capehart. If you don't already know Nikki Giovanni, I'm not sure you're ready for this powerhouse. A famed author and poet and a lion of African-American thought and activism, Giovanni has been on the scene for more than five decades. Her latest book is a tribute to libraries and the power of books entitled A Library. In this encore presentation of a conversation first recorded for Washington Post Live on October 5th, Giovanni extolled the freedom books give our lives, especially that of children. And when it comes to the efforts to ban books around the country, Giovanni couldn't be more clear. It's hard to fight what's going on right now because it's stupid. It's stupid for somebody to say, well, I don't want my child to read that book. You don't ban a book because you're afraid what your child is going to think. You know, get over that one. It is wonderful to see you. Why did you decide to write this book? Why is now the time for you to pay homage to libraries? Library, for any author, libraries are the most important part of our profession. Libraries and then critics. And of course, now libraries are under um, um, pressure from people who don't read to ban books to provide, to, to, pre, pre, to, to keep youngsters from getting certain books. And I wanted to celebrate libraries. Li- libraries and librarians are some of the most important people that we know. And we in the Black community are extremely proud to have Dr. Carla Hayden as the uh, Black librarian, the head of Library of Congress. I'm, I'm very pleased with that. And to tell you the truth, Jonathan, I, I don't remember a lot. Um, I, friends say that either I don't care or I, I just don't pay attention. But I do remember my first librarian, and I must have been 12 or 13 years old. And her name was Mrs. Long. And I wanted to just write something about how wonderful Mrs. Long was. And as I got older, I grew up in segregation. But as I got older, I realized what she must have gone through to, to get books that she thought I might be interested in and that I was interested in. And so I wrote, uh, actually, there are three poems in um, this book, A Library is just one, but there are three poems about librarians. And I just think I'm so very lucky to have known so many wonderful librarians and and so many wonderful, if I may, English teachers. Everybody remembers (laughs) their English teacher, Uh, I think. With, with joy, you know, you remember your, your math and your science teacher was like, oh, my God, you know, but you remember your <laughs> English teacher, with, <laughs> that's true, but you remember your English teacher with a lot of love and, and the poems that, that your English teacher read to you or had you read or the books that you read. And I think it's so wonderful. We cannot ban books. We must always, words are the most important part of human beings and words must always be open to everyone. Well, I want to get you to dive in, Miss Nikki, a, a, a little further uh, about Mrs. Long, because you did write, I, I was almost grown before I understood what she must have gone through to get me the books I was interested in. Mrs. Long always knew what I needed. You mentioned you grew up in the segregated South, but for the uninitiated or even the folks who don't quite appreciate what that means, who was Mrs. Long and why was it such a, a heroic thing she did for you? Well, our library was, of course, the Carnegie Library, and she had to go up, what we would have called uptown to the uh, Carson McGee. And I am sure now, knowing what I do about segregation, 
that Mrs. Long had to stand and wait until everybody else got whatever it was that they needed, because that's what happened to us in, in grocery stores. That's what happened to us in, in uh, purchasing clothes. That's what happened to us in buying shoes. You just had to wait. So I'm sure she had to stand there and wait. And, and when everybody else got finished, somebody would say, and I'm not saying that all white women were mean or anything like that, but then somebody would say, well, what do you want? And she would say something like, because I remember very much wanting to read um, uh, Rachel Carson's uh, 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 Silent Spring. And then she would say, I want to read Silent Spring. And I'm sure that there was some discussion about, well, who wants to read Silent Spring? Why would, why would you want to read that? Or when I wanted to read Darwin, because after I read Rachel Carson, I wanted to read The Origin of the Species, because it's something I've always been interested in. And I'm sure that, that she had to take a lot of guff that people were saying, well, you know, what colored child wants to read this? Are you sure you need it? And she had to stand there and sort of smile and say, oh, yes, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I really do. And I'll have it back on time. And no, it won't get dirty. You know, just people are mean, but not even if they're necessarily mean because all white people aren't but just that she had to take a lot of guff for the kind of books your, that i was interested in and a uh, lot of she guff. did a lot of guff on your behalf on your behalf in in your book a library you write quote a library is a place to be and also you write quote uh, a place to be another me what is it about libraries and books in particular that can set children free well, first of all, it's, they're all dreams. I mean, I I I'm a, I love space, and I've always loved uh, looking at the stars and looking at the moon. And you begin to put yourself in another world. You don't you don't have to live in a world where you are disliked or misunderstood. You you just go into space, and all of a sudden you're wonderful. I'm not a fan of of super people. I'm not a fan of Supergirl, Superman, any of that, where they're always flying around. I'm just a, a fan of there's a galaxy and there, there, there's another life form and we will encounter another life form and we have to be ready to, to do that. And so you daydream and I, I daydream, I still do. I daydream a lot. Um, if I may share, um, sure. you know, we just had uh, an asteroid. Uh, I worked with NASA whenever they call and we had an asteroid that was coming toward earth. And NASA called me and God only knows why and said, you know, why don't you write a poem? Because everybody's a little, upset about it perhaps hitting earth and i wrote a poem and it's called mating time <laughs> and what i'm saying <laughs> what i'm saying in the poem is that maybe it the asteroid maybe it's a life form and seeing earth because earth is beautiful no matter what anybody that blue going around it's just beautiful so maybe the asteroid is a life form that wants to mate with us it didn't come to hurt us it came to create another world and so i wrote that and uh, of course, we know that that we did push it away. And the end of my poem, we say thank you to the to the um, to the asteroid. We 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 thank them for for offering us itself. And we say, well, we can't we can't accept your love right now because we've been spoken for. Because <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it it didn't come to kill us. It came to to be our friend. It came to fall in love with us. It came to make another planet, maybe or another world. And 
that's the way I look at the world. But mm-hmm. they probably need to put me in a hospital or something because I, I just <laughs> think there's love. <laughs> I think there's a lot of love around that we're not paying attention to, John. <laughs> <laughs> well, Miss Nikki, I want to throw out a, a, a question we have from the audience. This is from uh, Cynthia Molina from New Jersey. Um, she asks, how important is children's literature and storytelling for our children in today's world? I don't think there's anything probably more important except that we sing to children. We are talking to children. Uh, I have a son. We are talking to children before they're born. You know, we're touching our tummies and the child is there. This life form is there. And we are we're saying, you know, oh, you'll come out and, and mommy's so happy to see you. And we're, 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 we're dealing with it as a life form. When it comes, we read stories to it. Uh, I think or you should, and I'm going to say should, because I'm not trying to tell anybody what to do with their lives, but it's something you do before they go to bed at night. Read a story or read a poem, and the child gets used to hearing that. Children's literature is the foundation of the rest of the literature that we, we do. It's, it's, the, it's the foundation. It's the, the bottom. And if children are hearing words and hearing poems and hearing uh, stories, as they grow up, they one, get used to it, but two, they, again, use their imagination. They begin to wonder, well, where do I fit in that? And that's why it's so important to have children's stories of, of all of the children, not, not, not any one child, but all of the children from all over the planet. It, it's, it's important. And I must say, and probably just because I'm a foodie, but one of the other things that happens with children's literature is that the kids are always eating, if you notice that, you know, uh, three oh, little right. bears, you know, somebody's been eating my porridge, said the papa bear. There are, there's always this food, so you've got this food, and it helps the children know, okay, everything's going to be all right. I'm going to be warm, and I'm going to be fed, and I'm going to have this this world out there. I'm, I'm going to be a part of it, and I think that's important. I, I, I really just enjoy it. I, I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, can, can I take a detour for a moment away from um, the book? In your bio, on your website, you write about all the different kinds of music you listened to, you listened to growing up. And you say, quote, I feel so sorry for the kids who only hear one kind of music. Where do your dreams come from? It was such a beautiful question. And I would love for you to talk more about that. Well, first of all, I have to admit, I didn't. I don't do the website. Someone, someone else does it. I, I don't understand it. And uh, I know I should learn it, but I don't, and I don't give a damn. So I don't really care about it that much. So um, someone else did that. But I think that, and and for my class, I'm I'm now retired. I, I retired in September. Mm-hmm. But for my class, I always said to them, we will listen to jazz. And so I've had my class write about Duke Ellington and write about Miles Davis. I wanted them to listen to jazz because jazz is built on the shoulders, as we know, of the spirituals. And as we do that, we get we we begin to hear different uh, different words and different sounds that that show us what you can do with a story. And it's it's really it's really wonderful. I had a kid that wrote about uh, there's a song you probably know it. I hope called Duke's Place. You know, but and he had to write the word to, you know, what is that? Well, he thought it was uh, C-Jam Blues, but we also know that lyric-wise, it's called Duke's Place. And all of a sudden, the kids were saying, I never knew that. I never thought that there could be words to a song like that. 
and that I could do it and that it would sound good. And that's what I'm trying to say to them. You listen to, and I'm a big jazz fan, but if you listen to jazz, you're always going to be hearing something else because that's what jazz teaches us. You cannot, uh, the, the Thelonious Monk, someone asked Mr. Monk, I did not have the pleasure of knowing Mr. Monk, but someone asked Mr. Monk, you know, how come you play all of those wrong notes? Because, you know, Monk is dun, 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 dun. And uh, Monk just kind of looked up because, you know, Monk was always having his head down. And he looked up and said, piano ain't got no wrong notes. And I'm saying to my students, neither does a poem. A poem doesn't have wrong words. It has words that are not in the right place. And so as you are imagining this world, you're finding where do we put, where do we actually put this, this word to make this poem be what we want it to be, which is the same thing as quilts. We, we, the United States is a quilt, and that's what people seem to forget also. The United States is a quilt. So where do we put this piece, and how do we make this piece keep all of us warm and all of us a part of it? That's what quilts do. And I, I love quilts for that. Quilts are not trash. They're pieces that we bring together so that all of us, right now, we are having a problem in Florida because we've had this, this, uh, these floods. And all of a sudden, people are kind. People are going to help. So they are a part of the quilt that are helping the people. And we should be doing that. We shouldn't have to wait for a hurricane. We shouldn't have to wait for something horrible to happen. We should be able to say, this is a part of the quilt, and we are all a part of this piece that brings together this love. It, it's so simple. I, I, I don't understand why people don't understand. That. Yeah, <laughs> really. I, they don't understand because it's that simple. Uh, it's usually the simplest things that people don't understand. Ms. Nikki, you once said, and I'm, I'm quoting here, I've been considered a writer who writes from rage, and it confuses me. What else do writers write from? Explain what you meant and, and what drives your writing process. You know, you're going to change. I, I wrote my first book when I was 28, and we are now sitting here, and I'm 79. So there's a lot of time. And again, I say to my students all the time, the, the most important part of your writing is that you're going to make a mistake or that you're going to change. And so when I was younger, there was a lot of rage because uh, segregation was unhappy because the death of Emmett Till upset my generation as much as the death of Rodney uh, King upset the next generation as the death of uh, um, uh, the young, other young man who, who uh, Black, uh, Black Lives Matter. Well, was created Trayvon for Trayvon Martin and um, George Floyd. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you see, I'm an old woman. And you're going to change how you look at things. So I think I had a lot of rage when I was younger. I, I really do. And then you realize, well, you can have rage or you can decide I'm not going to let people control my life. So you start to be a little more calm. And then you decide, no, actually, I'm happy. I have people that I love. And if you don't have people that you love, what you need is a dog. I'm, I'm a real fan. <laughs> if you're lonely, get a dog. And, and a lot of dogs right now need homes because we've had a lot, of, uh, a lot of storms and things. And dogs are the only living mammals that love us more than they love themselves. So there's a lot to learn from dogs. And I think you should get a dog. I think I have a dog. She's not here now. If she were, she would be barking because she doesn't like people talking to me that she can't see. And she's a Yorkie. <laughs> <Really? It's, laughs> yeah. And she's really pretty. She's a nice dog. But mm. you need something that, that you can love that loves you. And 
at 79, if, if I haven't found something to love, there's something wrong with me. And I don't think there's anything wrong with me. So I think that that the rage has uh, relaxed. So how do you think uh, America has progressed on issues around race? How far have we come? Where do we still need to go? Well, I think, first of all, uh, I think countries, this is just me, Jonathan, but mm -hmm. the idea of countries on earth is outmoded. And I think that we need to start to take steps to recognize that our definition of ourselves, and this is people who live on third planet from the yellow sun, is earthling. There is life in space. There is life not even in space because we're in space, but there's life in the galaxy. And it's time that we begin to prepare ourselves for life in the galaxy. If I have to answer to someone from the planet we call Jupiter, if I have to answer who I am, the only way that they'll understand me is that I can say, I am an earthling. I'm from the third planet from the yellow sun. They won't understand. I'm a Tennessean. I was born in Knoxville because they have no concept. What is a Knoxville? What is Tennessee? They won't understand the United States. So what, you know, what, what, what is that? You know, what, what do you mean? The, these so-called nations, uh, they've outlived themselves. And a lot of people, uh, and I don't want to, I'm not in a bad mood this morning, but a lot of people want to fight for land and for control of land or to, to determine what to call land. But all of that's finished. And it's time that we, that we recognize it. It's time that we recognize we are earthlings. And it's time that we taught that to our children so that my, uh, well, my great grandchildren, I have a granddaughter and she's going to simply be an, uh, an American. I think that she will always think that way. But by the time her children come along with any luck, they'll begin to think of themselves as earthlings. And they'll be, begin to think of themselves as it is normal to expect life in space. And I'm, I'm kind of excited. I, I'll be gone, unfortunately. Um, I'm 79. I, I won't live for great grand. I mean, I'd be, I, I can't imagine living for my great grandchildren. But to watch that happen, that's what we're looking for. And I, I, I must say, I'm a, a big fan of the transsexual. Uh, youngsters, because they're being mm -hmm. treated the same way that we black youngsters were being treated. And yet, as we think about the galaxy, as we think about going in, we, we won't be able to explain to somebody that I'm a woman and you're a man, because it won't make sense to a lot of people. We were talking about the asteroid. It may not make right. sense to a lot of man, a lot of uh, asteroids, a lot of life forms. And so now we've got the transgenders who are saying they are going to make another decision about who they are. And as they meet life forms, they'll be able to say, I'm, I'm just third planet from the yellow sun. They, they mm. won't be involved in I'm, I'm a Baptist or a, 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 or a Catholic. I'm none of that. A man the or a woman or black or white. It'll be, I'm from this planet. I think it'd be sad. I'm, I'm sorry that I'm not going to be around <laughs> on that level. I really am. The distinctions, the distinctions will, will be unimportant. They'll melt away. Miss Nikki, I've got another audience question for you. This is from, and I, I, I apologize in advance, Ms. Boston, uh, Taquaina Boston from Washington, D.C. She asks, what do you recommend as counters to efforts to ban books from libraries? Oh, I, I think that we are still, and, and we are, and, and people like me, I wrote a book and I, I take them to libraries. I, and this is something we, we, 
we begin to fight as best we can with the words and we begin to write letters to the editors and we begin to pick it and we begin to also read books to our children just in case for the brief period because there's always been if we look at at the nazis and if we look at the 40s they banned books but books came back because books are always going to fight back and books are always going to win and if there's one thing that that i sincerely believe it's that evil will never ever beat good we we will have this fight but it'll never win and so one thing that we do to fight banned books is that we take our books we 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 read to our children and we let our children know that this books and vaccinations are the two most important things that they are going to have because that's what's going to keep them alive and that's what's going to keep their minds alive I, it's hard to fight what's going on right now because it's stupid it's stupid for somebody to say well i don't want my child to read that book that you don't ban a book because you're afraid what your child is going to think you know, get over that one. But we're not going to win it all the time right now. But we will win it in, in the long run because we always do. And we are good will always prevail. Um, you're a poet. Um, poetry sometimes eludes, eludes me. Um, but I understand the power of it. And I'm wondering, I would love to know from you what the role is of the poet in this complex information-saturated world that we're in now? I think that we, we who write poetry are simply trying to share what we, what we see. And uh, I'm a big fan, of course, of uh, Gwendolyn Brooks, and uh, I, I had the great pleasure of knowing uh, Miss Brooks. But I'm also, though he was a racist, a big fan of um, uh, T.S. Eliot who was from St. Louis and who should have been writing blues, but instead he's doing some <laughs> other thing. But the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock is, uh, is an incredible poem. And uh, I would have my students read that, even though, as I say, he was a racist, but if you didn't read anybody who was a racist, you'd, you'd, you'd miss a lot of books. So it's, it's time to, we who are poets, do the best we can. You who are journalists, do the best you can. You ask a question, we try to answer. We don't know that a hundred years from now, we will be, uh, we will still be read, that people will still care. But as you may know, today is the 105th anniversary. I mentioned Mr. Monk early, the 105th birthday of Thelonious Monk. And I'm sure when Mr. Monk sat down to write round midnight, he had no idea that 105 years later, we would still be singing that song. So he writes the best song that he can, and we continue to sing it. That's mm -hmm. what poets do. Provocative question for you, because we're talking about in the nation and our conversation right now, talking about books being banned around the country. I'm just wondering, are there any books that should be banned? No. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, that was easy. <laughs> yeah. Even books that I don't like or books that... I mean, who's going to read Nietzsche? You know what I'm saying? But I did. Or who's going to read Ayn Rand? You know, for God's sake, you, you, you have to have a bucket so you can throw up while you're reading Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> but to ban it is to give it power over you. And it can't. There's no word that should have power over you. There, If it's a word, you can use it. Everybody may not like it. Everybody may not want to hear it. But you can't give words. You can't give a word the power that we say you, we're banning it because we don't want to hear it. No, 
you you have to, well, what does this word mean and how do we go? And we're on television, so there's some words that I can't give you examples of, or at least I don't think I should at this, certainly not at this hour of the morning. But words have to be free. And we're the ones that have to decide what to do with the words we're hearing and the words we're saying. Words are words are important to human beings. And again, I, I, I mentioned uh, her name, by the way, is Cleopatra. I mentioned my dog and I know she's talking to me. And I know I know that there are times that she's saying something to me. I just don't speak dog, but she speaks English because when I say sit, she does. Or when I say, let's go, we go every morning for coffee. She, I say, it's time for coffee. She knows what I'm saying. I'm the one who's who, who, who is uh, remiss here. I don't speak dog. And I think that we have to recognize the more words we can put out there, the more we can understand each other and other life forms. And I keep saying life form because we keep being, we must be aware that there are life forms, that human beings are not the only thing on earth. And if it if we are, it's a mistake. And and I just can't think that a mistake has been made. I have to think that this was a good idea. But if human beings are are if this is it, then it was, if human beings are, are what Earth is for, then a great mistake has been made and we will be uh, destroyed. I got to get you on two things before we run out of time. First, I would love for your thoughts about ne the, the newest Supreme Court justice, Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson, the first yeah. African-American woman, the first black woman on the Supreme Court. Well, to me, you're missing a word there. And that's just because of the way I think, Jonathan. But the word that you're missing is known because everybody talks about this is the first black person, this is the first black person. And you have to really say this is the first known black person because a lot of people are black that we don't know are black. So so we have to deal with that. <laughs> that's the truth. <laughs> that is the truth. That's the truth. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm not lying. No, it's the truth. And and we do that with, you know, Elvis Presley was passing for white, but and I'm happy for Elvis, but uh I'm I'm very proud of uh uh Justice uh, Brown and I hope that she has a good um stay or whatever they are. I do not believe, though you did not ask me this, I don't believe that the Supreme Court should have a lifetime appointment. And I think that uh uh um Clarence Thomas should uh, be it. He, he, his wife, we know what, what his wife was doing with, with uh, trying to overthrow the government. And I think that he, he should be required to resign. So you can't tell me you're married to somebody and you did. Oh, I didn't realize she was trying to help overthrow the government. You, you, then, then what room, what, what, what bedroom do you sleep in? Because if you sleep in the same bedroom, you, you do know that. <laughs> oh, it's too early to say things like that. <laughs> Ms. Nikki, the last question, last question for you. As you mentioned before, you just retired uh, after decades of teaching at, at Virginia Tech. What will you miss most uh, about teaching? I think most of them, I, I miss the students because um, there are a lot of things that happen that I don't know a lot, like a lot of their music. I have a, a uh, one uh, tattoo and it says Thug Life. And I was a big fan of uh, Tupac Shakur. He's a wonderful young man. 
and uh, we, we, we miss him, and we are still listening to Tupac's music. But the kids bring me up to date on what's happening, and I'm not going to have uh, I, I teach on Tuesday, I taught on Tuesday and Thursday. So I'm not going to be able to walk in and they're going to say, Nikki, did you listen to and explain things to me as I explain things to them? You you learn as much from your students as uh, they do from you. And I will miss my students. That That's true. But uh, uh-huh. I love tech. You know, tech has been uh-huh. a, a, I'm a part of the Hokie family and I'm very proud to be a part of the Hokie family. Okay, hold up. You have a tattoo that says Thug Life. Where is it? It's right here on my, I don't know if I can show it to you. Wow. It's not a little tattoo. You, you went all in. You were, you're committed. Well, I wanted, first of all, I'm a mother. And uh, Tupac was, would have been uh, just two years younger than my son. And I, I couldn't imagine, and I cannot still imagine, that a Fenny had to bury her child. And I just wanted in my own way to let her know she was not alone. And I couldn't think of any other way uh, than, than this tattoo, which I did. And, you know, it, it's a hard thing to lose your child. And so I, I think that, that a part of the motherhood, we who are mothers, we had to do something to let her know she's not alone. Nikki Giovanni, author of many books, but the latest book, a library. Thank you so, so much for coming to uh, Capehart on Washington Post Live. Thank you. It's, it's been fun talking. I know you think I'm nuts, but thank you. <laughs> oh, no, you, you are fabulous. You are absolutely fabulous. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Capehart. It's edited by Nick Roberts. We'll have new episodes for you every Thursday. I'm Jonathan Capehart. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ. There's always more to the story. I'm Leanne Caldwell, anchor of Washington Post Live. Each week, we bring you inside conversations between the newsroom and the people we cover. From global leaders enacting change to cutting-edge artists redefining our culture. And we make you and your questions part of every conversation. Listen to Washington Post Live wherever you get your podcasts and watch on demand at WashingtonPostLive.com.